Welcome to another episode with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and the entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore in the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. episode of Market Dominance, guys, you'll get to listen in on part two of the conversation between our own Market Dominance guy, Chris Beal, and our guest, Mark Roberts, CEO and founder of OTB Solutions. These two experts hold the same unfaltering belief about the importance of the first conversation a sales rep has with a prospect. They've learned that the cold caller has to believe in the potential value of the discovery meeting they are offering in order to be successful at setting that meeting. Mark works as a consultant with CEOs of manufacturing companies, many of whom have voiced this lament. Why can't my sales department run like my plant? Mark thinks that sales really can be a science. There are dollars in your data if you know where to look, he says. So how do you get a CEO to say, oh, belief really does count? Show them the numbers. Chris and Mark know that every time a CEO listens in on his rep sales calls during one of Connect and Sell's intensive test drives, they can easily discern the difference between reps who believe in the value of the meeting and reps who don't, just by looking at the conversation to meeting ratio. They can see what good looks like and how much fun reps have when they are successful. Mark explains it like this, belief, worthy intent, and fun change the quality of a rep's output. These things that sound squishy are the bedrock of success. And bringing market dominance to worthy manufacturers is the bedrock of this episode of Market Dominance, guys. Why can't sales run like my plant? It's so interesting. And that worthy intent part is such a big deal. We we went through something a few years ago with a manufacturing company, in this case also, where they asked us to do some calling for them, which is something we did for a while. And then we backed off of that and, and let our partners like Young Bloodworks, Corey Frank runs that company, my podcast co-host, and others who want to use Connect and Sell in a, a setting appointments to do it. But we were doing it ourselves a little bit at the time. And we were getting terrible results for a week. And you know, a week of Connect and Sell is a, is a lot. That's a lot that, of conversation. You know, for people we it's a lot. It was roughly speaking 600 conversations. Wow. And with four people that were working that week, about 150 each. And they were getting horrible results. And yet we knew that the scripting was good, the breakthrough script that we use. We know that it's effective if used correctly. They kind of sounded good, but there was something a little off. And over the weekend, I was out for a long run and I suddenly thought, I know what the problem is. They don't believe. Yep. These people don't believe in the potential value of the meeting as a learning experience for the person they're talking with, regardless of whether business ever gets done any further. And so went back to the customer, to the company and said, hey, could you dig up one or two folks who would have a very clean recollection of their first discovery meeting with your company? And they could tell our reps, our top of funnel reps, what they the customer learned from that meeting that changed their life. Right. And they found somebody and we had that person. It was the 
science was really something because we'd gone through this baselining, right, without intending to. And then we did this. We suspended all calling on Monday. And this person simply spoke from the heart for about 30 minutes about how working with this company changed their life. But the main thing was what they learned in that meeting, even if they'd never moved forward, that they found so valuable. And suddenly our people, same script, same list, same everything, just add belief in the potential value of the meeting, backed up by the words of somebody who got value from that meeting. And they went from setting 3.2% of their conversations to meetings to setting 12.6%. And they did it in one day, just changing the belief switch. And I find that fascinating. Yeah, you reframe the mindset. I mean, they had a limiting belief. You know, I'm going to go through this. I don't know if it's going to be a value. You demonstrated that it was tremendous value. And then they led with worthy intent. I applaud what you did. Oftentimes, you know, they might have the technology, but they lack the training. Uh, But you guys provide the script and the coaching and the psychology of the call. I think what's going to ultimately happen is more manufacturers engage with you. The bottleneck is going to move. It's going to move to the conversation. It's going to move to closing. It's going to move to negotiating. But at least we'll be having conversations with people that we can serve and we know they have problems that we can help them with. So, yeah, I I think you you guys really were on to something back then with the worthy intent. Well, it was a guess at the time. It was desperate because I'd taken on this. Basically, it was kind of like a skin in the game contract. It was such a good partner. I decided to do it. And then I realized, oh, my God. Talk about the tide going out, and then you look kind of go, I forgot my swim trunks, right? So I felt pretty bad about having taken on that contract. And what I think is interesting is, you know, I'm a very analytic guy, as you know. I'm a physicist mathematician by training. And, you know, you don't go into those fields unless you're kind of analytic. It's like, I don't know a lot of people that go, I think for four years, I'm going to sit here and, and work equations, you know, like partial differential equations and stuff like that, because I, I just think it's, uh, it's something a person should know how to do. You do it because you're naturally inclined to do it. So I'm a very analytical person. And what my analysis would normally have not found, and I think most analytical people would agree with me, is putting in potential ingredients like belief, like worthy intent, like fun, And believing that these are important, concrete, measurable, critical inputs and indications of the quality of outputs. I think fun's an indication of the quality of the output that you're putting out. Uh, For a mission-critical business process on which their entire company's life depends. I think a lot of people who become CEOs of these manufacturing companies are pretty analytical people. They've got to be. They are. They go out on the floor. I've been out on the floor with tons of them and they, they can see what's going on. You know, they analyze it quickly. You put the spreadsheet in front of them and they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not right. Or that is right. Or that means this, right? They're like that. So it tends not to occur to them that these things that sound squishy are in fact the bedrock of success, not for a function, but for the whole company. It just doesn't seem right. Do you find, I mean, is that a problem as you see it to like get them over that hump? How do you, how do you get a CEO to go, oh, belief counts, right? It makes all the difference. Well, and again, I think a lot of times the the strategy that I use is they want to see a business case. They want to see proof. So I ask them, 
you know, let me have 30 of your people for 60 days. Let me show you what good looks like. And once they see that, it's just like when they're working in the plant and they're trying to improve efficiency and lower uh, their manufacturing variance. It, it's a science. Well, sales can be a science if you know where to look and what data to look at. I just started a couple of videos that says, you know, there's dollars in your data if you know where to look. And what's nice about Connect and Sell is it gives you the data and you can constantly coach and improve. So the top of the funnel, if that's the problem you're trying to solve, very quickly, you're going to be able to adjust your message. You're going to be able to adjust your tone and, and constantly make it stronger until you see a repeatable model that works. And then once you get the meeting, how many of those meetings are converting into business? You know, conversations that turn into revenue. Now that might be your bottleneck. But each one of these involves uh, training and technology and coaching. Yeah, you know, driving that bottleneck down and, and measuring it and having the data is crucial, but it's rare. I, I think it's rare because the current bottleneck for every company I've run into for years is actually, I will call it just above the top of the funnel that they measure. And as a result, there's no metrics coming to them. There's no data coming to them about the one thing that is holding them back. As soon as you, you bring the bottleneck down into the sales funnel, Almost everybody can at least look at it and go, oh, you know, but until it's there, and I say that's kind of at discovery, the flow rate of discovery meetings, until you make that the bottleneck, the tools I think that most companies have, that most CEOs have at their disposal to, to measure progress towards new logos, uh, which are, as far as my experience says, those are the profitable logos, right? They're before the procurement department on the other side grinds you down over the years. Right. My dad used to be a head of procurement. So I got to watch what procurement did at home, right? My dad was ran procurement. So, you know, I, maybe that's why I'm on the sales side now. So like, here's an example. How many companies, how many CEOs would be able to tell you what the, what the prospecting output is, flow rate is, in terms of meetings set per prospecting hour for a rep, per rep hour spent prospecting? I don't think we... Don't, would you Have you ever met one? I haven't met one that could do that. What they would do is they would defer yeah. to their VP of sales, ask them, and the VP of sales would have to manually try to figure it out with the CRM, but nobody can tell them per hour that I'm aware of. Shut Shocking, right? Because every factory you or I have ever been in, you can go to any point in the factory and ask the question, what is the flow rate Correct. that is produced at this point? And every manufacturer knows the answer to that question at every point, every process, every machine, every workstation, all the inputs, all the outputs. Well, I think that's what think drives that's that, my bit, that statement the CEOs make, which is, I wish sales would run like my plant. They know that to be true in a plant. The good news is their sales can run like that, but it just takes a different training. It takes different tools and it takes a different mindset, quite frankly. But again, in a weird way, their gut is right. Sales can run like that and can get you predictable results, but it just needs to be run a little bit different, more scientific, more data-driven than it's ever been before. Yeah, and I think a lot of people who are going out to try to do something about it, they'll look at the at what they consider maybe the more leading edge 
kind of sales companies like software as a service companies, SaaS companies, maybe even Silicon Valley startups and say, let's emulate them. So maybe we'll hire sales development reps or do whatever. I've got data that says that for account executives, especially those experienced ones you've talked about, that you can take them, and I have hard data, by the way, this is uh, hundreds of reps going through what we call flight school. You can take them from this number, the average when you start them out untrained, even using Connect and Sell, right? And you had mentioned dials per hour. Connect and Sell tends to run about 170, 190 dials per hour per rep. So it's about two, two and a half to three days of dialing, so to speak, that's done for them per hour. Even with Connect and Sell, the average number of meetings set per hour per rep is about 0.39. During training, when you take them through a script that works, teach them how to say it, they're now going through what we call flight school during the, the blitzes, that number goes up to 0.53. That's a pretty big lift, right? Right. 0.14 over 0.39, that's almost 50%. Sustainably, on the, in the long run, if they continue to blitz and coach forever, that number actually goes up and up and up and will stabilize around 0.72. This is the actual numbers that we have right now. And we have some companies that are in the 1.2, 1.3 range. But over all those experienced reps, not going to sales development reps in a separate department setting meetings for them, but setting their own meetings, they can do that at a rate of 0.72 per hour. So if you had 30 people, and they prospected for an hour, say an hour a day, right? At the end of a week, of any given week, that three, you know, for five times 0.72, it'd be about 3.5 meetings per week that they would be able to have that you say they would hold with great competency, those discovery meetings. So 3.5 a week is, that's 850 meetings a year or eight, eight something, right? I mean, if you have 30 of them, that's 30 times 800. Isn't that a big number? Three times 800 is 2,400. 24,000 meetings a year they would be having. How could that not move the needle? Well, it definitely would. But again, we've got to find where the bottleneck is. And I think you're right. I think uh, when it comes to prospecting, the biggest bottleneck is just the, the first conversation to get the meeting. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every single day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears were shed while watching Titanic kind of qualified. Uh, which means it's the bottleneck of the whole company. I mean, this is the mission I've Pretty been much. on is to tell CEOs, you know, I'm a CEO, right? If I didn't, if I couldn't go to my board and say, in answer to a question, where's the bottleneck of the whole company right now? If I can't answer that question, I'm doomed. I happen to know in my company where the bottleneck is. The bottleneck in my company's in discovery. And it's a mindset issue. In discovery, when your mindset is both to take the next step and to qualify at the same time, right. it's, a, it's an approach avoidance issue. It's like watching a horse try to jump a gate, but it's not sure it can get over the gate or not sure it should. 
So it will tend to go around or stop and throw the rider. Oh, right? wow. There's a commitment that you've got to have to an outcome to accomplish anything. It's like in a golf swing, right? If I'm not sure that, say, I'm, I've got a downhill putt and I'm afraid it's going to run way by the hole, that uncertainty will make me miss all putts short, long, sideways, and everything else because I can't commit to an outcome. I can't, you know, I won't, I'm not willing to take the risk. I believe in my company, my reps, by and large, don't want to take the risk of taking the wrong prospect through a test drive. And so that's what I get to address. And I would tell my board that that's our problem. But our problem is not at the top of the funnel. Not. We set 35 meetings a day like clockwork. And that's way more than are needed to run the company. In fact, I've got a little slosh factor above that. They spill out. Right? <laughs> I get some leakage up there that's kind of sideways. Every CEO should be able to answer that question. I don't know. I'm sort of flabbergasted. Right? It's like if the problem is sitting right there above the top of their funnel, and that's the truth, that's the true bottleneck, it, will they resist that because they haven't seen it for so many years? Or are you, because I kind of look at a guy like you, 30 years, 40, you know, whatever, right? 30, how long is back to 83? 38 years of industrial experience on the sales side. A guy like you should be able to talk to a CEO and say, hey, dude, hard to break this to you, but the bottleneck of your entire company is likely to be in a place where you have zero metrics. Oh, absolutely. I mean, part of my practice is I do um, sales effectiveness assessments. And in those assessments, very quickly, we'll find that people have the will and the desire to hunt. So it's not like your salespeople are lazy or they don't want to try to sell. But when you quickly look at all the data, they lack the skills, the conversations, often technology to have those conversations. But once they have the conversation, they usually are very high in presentation skills, the ability to solve customers' problems, the ability to share insights. They score very high in that. So again, it, it's kind of like you said, the theory of constraints. What's your constraint? Yeah. Well, not many people are measuring dials that I'm aware of in the manufacturing space. I know that people in large enterprise software companies do measure outbound calls, the, the closure rate per call. But in manufacturing, it's not unusual for them to spend a tremendous amount of money to enter into a new market, let's say. And they've spent the development dollars, they spent the capital dollars, and then they spend the marketing dollars to open up that market. But what's right in front of them is just the dials. How are you reaching out? How are you getting those conversations started? Have we gone so far as to rely 100% on marketing? I think that's a big mistake. It's crazy, but it's done, it's right? Done. I would say here's a number most folks don't know at all, which is on average for a manufacturing company who's you know got a, a kind of a high-end product to sell. It doesn't have to be a million dollars, but say you know it's at least fifty to hundred thousand dollars per unit that they're selling, perhaps, and it's a considered purchase. How many dials should it take with a competent team, well trained, you know, as a target to get a meeting? And the answer is across of the manufacturing companies we're working with, 261. So once you know that, you'd think you'd want to know, well, are, okay, are we doing 261 of those per whatever, per day, per week, per month, per rep? 
or not. And yet I would, I would contend most CEOs would look at that and go, dial, smiles, what's that? Who cares? Right. Again, I, I think we've uncovered the biggest bottleneck for most growth is simply starting the conversation. So maybe the Biden administration, who wants the economy to do well, because that's what you're supposed to do as president, maybe they should be paying attention to this. They want manufacturing to succeed in America, right? Absolutely. And I think what you're saying is it's ever got all the ingredients of success, except for one little issue, which is, it's almost like, imagine, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, run, I'm thinking of a plant, and this is happening right now, by the way, in a way, if I was running an automotive plant right now, this is a problem I would have. So semiconductors aren't coming in predictable. Right. My, my supply chain people are going crazy trying to find semiconductors. They're looking at alternate sources of supply. They're going to, to designers and saying, can we substitute you know, this chip for these two chips because I can get these? Can you redesign that board? Can, you know, what can we do? Um, where are we going? Or does anybody have surpluses here and there? Can we go down in quality a little bit? What can we do? Right? And what it feels like if you're running the plant is it's fits and starts. It's like you're, the one thing that you must have to make a car now is silicon. You have to have chips. Cars are full of chips nowadays. If I'm missing one of those chips, what I can't ship the car with you know, some critical function like the thing that makes the anti-lock brakes work. <laughs> <laughs> not in the car, right? Right. <laughs> now, that's because that's not de rigueur, not allowed to do that. So it's almost like you have a door that's uh, on one of your bays where you take in your raw materials and your parts in order to feed your factory. And then the door has a lock on it that opens at random. And it opens every once in a while and then it shuts at random. And you go, oh, I guess we got a little something we can make it, right? conversations with relevant prospects play that role in every single company. So we talk about a silicon shortage or a chip shortage, and that's a disaster for the economy and everybody's freaking out. Everybody's freaking out. I mean, that's all there is to it, right? And yet we've had a conversation shortage that is worse than the chip shortage, but we've just gotten used to it and decided that it's okay. One of the biggest challenges that I see is people understand, let's say, prospecting. They might have some skill, but very rarely do I see a team that continuously prospects. So what that ends up being is that roller coaster ride of great month, poor month, great month, poor month. We've got to help our salespeople constantly be reaching out, trying to get new business from new customers, as well as gaining share of wallet at our current accounts. But again, that's going to require skills and technology to do so. Is there a part of the manufacturing industry, a subsector that you think is particularly stressed right now and therefore might be more open-minded or desperate? I like desperation. Um, some people, it makes them closed-minded. Some people, it makes them creative. And finding the creative ones is fairly straightforward. You just talk to enough people and somebody will go, hey, wait a second, that has really been bothering me. You know, Are you you have an answer or a possibility in that area? I um, want to talk to you. Is there some part of manufacturing that's stressed right now with all that's going on that you would say, yeah, you know, better them than others to solve this problem? Well, a number of my clients, whether they're in building supply, metals, plastics, they went from in the middle of the pandemic, seeing sales declines to now it's like the bounce is, is occurring. So they're struggling just to keep up and grow. 
but I'd have to think about that. What particular manufacturing area would have the big, you know, the biggest return on investment of fixing the top of their funnel? I think it's something that it would benefit every manufacturer, though. I've yet to go into a, a business plan where they didn't lay out, okay, what's our growth plan next year? Okay, what percent of that is organic? What percent of that is net new logos? And it, typically, it's the net new logos that fail year after year. You had mentioned sales is getting more difficult. I think it was InsideSales.com that's been tracking what percent of salespeople are hitting quota every year. Since 2016, it's consistently gone down every year. I think we're now into like the 50 percentile. 56, 53% of salespeople are achieving the quota that the CEO sold to the board and their shareholders. So I think it's just about positioning yeah. and, and building awareness, quite frankly, because most CEOs are very systematic, pragmatic thinkers. And I think we just need to build the awareness of the impact that this could have on their bottom line. Well, you know how we do that. And I've, I'd love to work with you to, uh, to help open a couple of minds, really. You know, we do this thing called an intensive test drive. As I say to anybody, don't even think about this. Just try it with a little group for, for one day. And then we'll talk. And the reason I do that is 10x is not describable, right? I mean, it's like it's like saying I got a 600 mile an hour car. Uh, it doesn't sound so good. Plus, it doesn't sound so real. So I don't think you have one of them. And plus, if I had one, am I going to drive a 600 mile an hour car? That's crazy. I can't do that, right? So we, you know, we come in right. and we go, look. All good CEOs are from Missouri, right? They all want to, you know, show me, don't tell me. So we go, eh, better than show you. Let's experience it together. Do you think CEOs that you know would actually observe, listen to their reps talking, having dozens or even a hundred plus conversations in a test drive like that? Would they take, because that's precious time for them. CEOs time's precious. Would they take 30 minutes or an hour and listen in and go, what, we're saying that or whatever you know the outcome might be? I would think most CEOs would be interested in knowing what their market-facing people are saying and what with what frequency. But the test drive being free, what, you, what you're doing is basically creating the business case every CEO needs. So what does good really look like? For years, they've been told good looks like three good appointments a month. With a oh, test drive, they could see they're getting 20, 30 appointments a month. Once they see what good looks like, that's when things are going to change. Yeah, when good achievable. A lot of CEOs achievable. have been told, you know, that their team is doing, you know, really good. They're doing great. Maybe they're hitting their numbers by growing their current business as long as the main number gets hit, right? But what would have happened to your bottom line if you would have had those net new logos or entered that new market and penetrated it and grew market share just because your salespeople were more efficient and more effective? It's fascinating. Well, I'm looking forward to working with you on this. I'd like to have my top cold caller, Cheryl Turner, if you're willing to do it, set meetings for you to meet with CEOs. Cheryl can get CEOs to come to meetings all day long. At first, it'll, it'll be a little rough, right? Because it's, it's a new kind of value prop. But it'd be fascinating just to you know, see what happens if you were to have meetings with CEOs about what you're doing with them, right? Your, your business. And see yeah, whether definitely. any of them might be interested in the experience, because I think experience beats talk any day. And, you know, but you got to have talk to talk somebody 
kind of into having an experience, right? First time I jumped out of an airplane was also the last, but I loved it. Somebody had, Gerhard Schwantner is his name, had to, had to offer the opportunity, but also say, you know, and here's the purpose of it, right? This experience is going to kind of liberate you from some of your self-limiting beliefs. And, you know, hopefully I said it won't liberate me from life on this planet as I slam into the damn Correct. thing and it's yeah. not so good. So somebody's got to have that conversation. Is that something you'd be willing to do if Cheryl were to set some meetings for you? Yeah, would you because do it? again, in the spirit of worthy intent, it would excite me to reach out to manufacturers and show them what good could look like. It would totally change their perception of sales, and it actually would validate their belief that sales could run like a plant. I think that's the biggest idea I've heard of market dominance, guys. I wrote an article four years ago, five years ago, three parts or four parts or five parts, and they asked this question, can sales be industrialized? And my answer was oh, yes, wow. and I laid out them. It's the math and the, you know, the whole bit, right? Um, it was not a popular article. It was, it's out there on LinkedIn to this day. You can still go find it. It's on our blog. I thought it was a breakthrough. I thought, man, I've got it, right? This is like the, let's ask the question, can sales be industrializing? Aaron Ross asked this question about predictable revenue and specialization. Now, the one thing he didn't think needed to be specialized was dialing and navigating the phone itself at that time way back then, that didn't seem like the thing, right? So instead, it was a specialization around some other functions, including getting the meeting. I actually believe the, the unit of specialization where the most arbitrage is to be found is right there, dialing and navigating the phone, but not talking to the person, not talking to the target. And the mathematical consequence of all that, when you analyze it, so sales can be industrialized. It really can, at least down through discovery. So what you're saying is, I like the, your phrasing better, which is you know, the, the why not? Why can't my sales organization, my sales function run like my shop floor? And they can. That's a great question. That's the question. And they can. We think they can. No, and I look forward well, okay, to working I, with you and Cheryl and demonstrating that with those free trials that you're generous to give. Because we're going to show them what well, they look like. Yeah, we're going to, we call it blowing doors. You're going to blow some doors off when it is a shocking experience. And the, the main thing about it is, and Matt McCorkle said this very, very clearly. He said, you know what? Here's how I knew it was working on the test drive. And I was personally there at his test drive in Milwaukee, his plant. And some people who, not at the plant, at the sales office, people who had never used the phone. And I took him aside after we had brats and beer at the end and we're talking about it. And I said, what did you think? And he said, I don't really have to think. I'm a very analytical guy, but they were having so much fun that I know it was working. And I think that might be the thing that we'll, we'll have folks look out for because that is what happens. It's fun. It's time we brought fun to prospecting. It is. It is. All right. Well, Mark, thanks so much for being on Market Dominance, guys. Uh, I, uh, I see you as saving the nation, quite frankly. Ah. Because manufacturing, well, it, yeah, I'm serious. I mean, we've had a save the world thing that had to happen with the vaccines. And, you know, that got done kind of miraculously. There you go, right? Here we have, in a way, it's not a vaccine. It's more of, uh, it's more of food, you know, that can strengthen our manufacturing sector. And, 
when you want manufacturing to grow, you also want to compete. You're competing with companies around the world. And so I take this pretty seriously as an opportunity. And I hope hoping we can work together and bring market dominance to worthy manufacturers um, right here at home and make a huge difference. And the good news is what we'll close on is elite sellers have one thing in common, which is a utilitarian trait. If I do this, I expect this. When they experience the test drive, they're never going to look back. They're going to know how efficient and effective they could be. And that sets the bar because these are like athletes, right? They're always trying to get better. So I'm excited to work with you. It's going to be fun. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show too. And Corey, dude, you could have been here for this, the pivotal moment in the entire manufacturing sector, the future of our country. I know you're a patriot and um, you know, you're here in spirit, my friends. So thanks so much. And everybody, this has uh, been an episode of Market Dominance Guys with Mark Roberts. How, how to get people get a hold of you? I know Cheryl's going to call them, but say CEO gets a hold of this and they go, oh, I, I got to talk to that Mark Roberts guy. Well, I'm kind of an well, old school what do they guy, do? right? I mean, if you want to find me, just Google the words fix sales problems. I'm typically number one in the world, but I prefer just to give you myself. That's how CEOs reach out to me. 330-413-8552. I'm kind of an old school guy. I have conversations with people. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, everybody reach out to Mark and uh, fix sales problems. If that's not something worth doing, I don't know what is. Thanks so much. And see everybody next time on Market Dominance, guys. Thanks. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.